0: i to be
1: financial exploitation, quite frankly, is still a mark of false teachers, as we've said before, still a mark of cult leaders. That's still the ulterior motives is to get rich off of people. And Dave Brees, in his very wonderful little book called The Marks of a Cult, writes this about financial exploitation. I quote, it is fair to say that an almost universal characteristic of the cults is an insatiable financial appetite in the leadership. They cruelly dangle their followers over the fires of hell as the punishment for not giving large amounts of money to their cause. It
2: is just amazing, and not in a good way, what some people will do for money. Would you, for example, abandon your family for $10 million? How about abandon your church? Become a prostitute for a week? How about giving up your citizenship? Leave your spouse? Uh, would you withhold your testimony to let a killer go free? Or would you kill a stranger? Would you put your kids up for adoption for $10 million? Hmm. I read once that a survey found that two-thirds of Americans would do at least one of those things for $10 million. You know what else lots of people do for money? They lie about God, and they lie about what He said. Hello, and welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our leader. As we look into God's Word each day to see what help we can find as we seek to be more like Jesus... Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our study is in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, in which the Apostle Paul gave a wonderfully helpful treatise on generous giving. Today we come to chapter 8, verse 19b, in which he mentioned the administration of those gifts. If we're to give with integrity, we need to give to people of integrity, people who are not lovers of money but lovers of God. Paul wrote about that quality in 1 Timothy, so we'll go there first today for some background. I was both saddened and amused by something a friend told me a few years ago concerning a letter he had received from a popular TV preacher. Saddened because the preacher obviously lied about what God said. The preacher said that God had told him that if my friend sent $1,000 to him, God would reward my friend by giving him $10,000. I was amused because of how my friend responded. He actually replied to the TV preacher. He said, "It sounds like you need money worse than I do. How about if you send me the thousand dollars, and then maybe God will give you the ten thousand he would have given to me? <laughs> if you have your Bible handy, keep your finger on 2 Corinthians 8, and let's turn to First Timothy chapter three. Here's Pastor Steve.:
1: When the Apostle Paul was instructing his young disciple Timothy, on the kind of man to look for as an elder in the church, he was sure to include that this man must have, he said, the right attitude towards money. Paul said it's very important. In 1 Timothy 3.3, he said that an elder must be free from the love of money. Now, in the original Greek language, which is what the New New Testament was written in, this entire phrase is really reduced to one word. Which means not a lover of silver. That's what Paul literally said and meant, not a lover of silver. In other words, those who lead Christ's church are to be men who minister out of, out of love for the Lord and love for his people and not for money. And there was a very good reason why the apostle Paul put his finger on that area in terms of leadership and character qualities. And it's this. The ancient world of Paul's day, as well, quite frankly, as well as our own, was noted for its many religious teachers who took advantage of people financially, religious hucksters, con men who thought that this was big business you had the Jewish world, the, the religious world in the Jewish realm. And in that realm, you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees, according to Luke chapter 16, were lovers of money. Now, when we think of the Pharisees, we think of, of a sect that uh, opposed Christ and they were legalistic and concerned just about outward performance. And that's absolutely right. But they also loved money. And I want you to see this in Luke chapter 16. The Bible says they actually mocked Jesus for what he had to say about money, and there's good reason why they mocked him. In Luke chapter 16, verse 14, we read this. Now, Jesus has been speaking to the Pharisees, and it says this. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. Could you imagine that, sitting there listening to Jesus and mocking, laughing, at him for what he had to say. Well, what was he saying that they thought was so funny? Back in verse 13, Jesus said this, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And with that, the Pharisees mocked him scoffed him. Why? Because the Pharisees, amongst many erroneous views, also held to a, to an erroneous view concerning earthly riches. They believed that earthly riches were always an indication of God's blessing. So if you were wealthy, it was because God was blessing. It's really not very different than, than what we hear coming out of the charismatic movement, that that is a sign of God's blessing, and he wants you wealthy, and that, that indicates spiritual prosperity as well. That's what they held to. And while Jesus certainly didn't condemn being wealthy, the Bible doesn't condemn that, he did condemn loving wealth and being devoted to wealth. In fact, it was this concern for money rather than the welfare of God's people that led Jesus in John chapter 10, which I read before. He referred to the Jewish religious leaders as hirelings or hired hands, hired men. That's who he was referring to. In that passage of Scripture, Jesus is making a contrast between himself as the good shepherd who gives his life, lays down his life for the sheep, as opposed to, to the Jewish religious leaders who were only only in it for money, and when there was any danger, they fled because they cared about themselves and not about the people. They were, as Jesus said, hirelings—people you just pay money to take care of the sheep, but they have no vested interest in the sheep. It's very interesting that when Paul wrote to Titus, another one of his young disciples telling him about what kind of an elder or what kind of a man he should look for in being an elder, he also addressed this issue of false teachers who were in for the money, and he specifically spoke about Jewish false teachers. Let me show you this. In Titus chapter 1, for those of you who can find it quickly, I want you to see that this was a real problem in the ancient world. Titus chapter 1, speaking about also qualifications for an elder, a pastor, Paul said in verse 10, speaking of why elders need to know the Word of God well enough to be able to refute it, they need to have a handle on Scripture. They need to be men who are well-versed in sound doctrine because part of what they do is refute error. And he said in verse 10, explaining this, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, meaning Jewish. There are false teachers in the church, but especially... Titus, in your situation, there are Jewish false teachers. He says in verse 11, who must be silenced. Silenced meaning by ref- refuting them with God's word, because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach, watch this, for the sake of sordid gain. Not only are they erroneous in what, in what they teach, but the reason they teach is to make money from people. And so elders need to be qualified to be able to refute their error. But I want you to know, it was not only in the Jewish world that religious leaders lusted after people's money. The Gentile world also had their own counterparts who were also known for their greed. In fact, if you turn back from Titus to 1 Timothy chapter 6, you'll see this addressed to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 3, speaking about the false teachers who were at Ephesus Paul said, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, meaning a doctrine different than the gospel, and does not agree with the sound words, uh, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, that is, if anybody opposes the gospel, then Paul concludes he is conceited, understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, and strife, abusive language, and evil suspicions. He is talking about those who sit around and discuss absolutely nonsense and try to arrive at some conclusion over speculative information. And they argue about words, and that was what was going on here. And Paul said that's that those men are conceited, they're arrogant, they don't understand anything. And then he adds in verse 5, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Not only were these false teachers, and not only were they doing horrendous things in their teaching, but Paul reveals here that behind the hypocrisy of their teaching lies their true intentions, and that is to make money for them. The reason they did this, you think, why would anybody be a false teacher? Well, of course, they don't realize they're false teachers necessarily, but why would anybody uh, be involved in something like this to make money? to them religion was business in other words they pretended to be godly in order to get rich and their true goal wasn't to help anybody with their teaching but to make money off of people they probably had some type of uh, charisma with their personality some type of of dynamic speaking ability and this was a good way to make to make money but their true nature was selfish greed and that's what came out now, financial exploitation, quite frankly, is still a mark of false teachers, as we've said before, still a mark of cult leaders. That's still the ulterior motives, is to get rich off of people. And Dave Brees, in his very wonderful little book called The Marks of a Cult, writes this about financial exploitation. I quote, It is fair to say that an almost universal characteristic of the cults is an insatiable financial appetite in the leadership. They cruelly dangle their followers over the fires of hell as the punishment for not giving large amounts of money to their cause. The false religions of the world are characterized by lavish temples overlaid with gold and studded with diamonds. Most of them stand in the midst of a sea of poverty, which the cults themselves have caused. Their apparent prosperity is nothing more than the shameful result of their cruel exploitation of frightened people who seek their favors with financial gifts. Strong language, but absolutely true. It happened in Paul's day. It happened before Paul's day. It happened after Paul's day and it continues to our day. And because greed is such an issue and is so identified with teachers in religious circles that the apostle Paul went on to warn Timothy to be careful about it himself. Timothy was not a false teacher. But even true teachers can fall into being tempted to pursue money. And so in First Timothy 6, Paul goes on to speak to uh, to Timothy about being content and pursuing godliness rather than financial gain. And he says in verse 6, right after teaching him about about warnings concerning false teachers, he said, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. He's not talking about financial gain here. And then he says, speaking of contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. What what an understatement there. We brought nothing into this world and you're not taking anything out of this world. So be content with food and covering. Verse nine, but those who want to get rich. Now he's not talking about those who are necessarily rich, but those who make it their goal in life those who go for all kinds of, of schemes and get-rich-quick schemes and and look to that pink Cadillac, that the, that's their ultimate goal, stuff like that. Those, you know what I'm talking about. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for, and he's speaking specifically about false teachers, but warning Timothy, don't you long for this. Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now watch this. Having said this, he turns to Timothy and says, don't pursue this, but I want you to pursue this. Verse 11, critical verse, but flee from these things. What things? Primarily money, pursuing money, financial gain. Timothy, Flee from these things, you man of God. You are a man of God. You are not to pursue this kind of stuff. What are you to pursue? And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Timothy, even though you are sound in doctrine, even you can fall into the temptation of pursuing money, and it will destroy your ministry. Now, that's a very real temptation for those who are in the ministry. Loving money is dangerous. It will destroy a man's ministry. How? Let me give you some suggestions how it can destroy a spiritual leader's ministry. First of all, it can lead him to treat wealthy people better than poor people. That's a very real temptation. It can lead him to show favoritism. That's what the Bible calls it. Favoritism towards those who have more money than those who have less money. And James addresses that in his little book at the end of the New Testament in James chapter 2. He said that if someone comes into your church, into your assembly, or two people rather, and one is obviously wealthy, you can tell it by the clothes he's wearing, and another man comes in and you can tell that he doesn't have that much money by the clothes he's wearing, and you treat one better, the wealthy man, you say, come, sit here in this honored place, but to the poor man, you just stick him in the back. James says that's not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what the word of God teaches concerning love. So that's a very real temptation. Pursue money and you might be involved in showing favoritism. Secondly, loving money can lead a leader to compromise scripture in order to not offend those who financially support him. That's a very real danger. You tell people what they, what they want to hear because if you don't, they might pull back their support, and then what are you going to do? And so you're, you're really uh, bound, you're paralyzed. Money has become an idol, and you'll tell people whatever they want to hear. A third danger to loving money is that it can ruin a leader in that he can charge for his ministry, and there are many who do that. They come with a price tag. That's not ministry. That's business so no longer is he a servant, but he is a hired professional. Great danger, a great danger. I've told you in the past, I, I, I'm sure I did, that uh, I was invited to speak at a conference time, and the, uh, the fellow who invited me said, and how much do you charge? I said, I don't charge anything. But I'm, I'm astounded that someone even asked that. How much do you charge? Then it's not ministry. But that's a great danger if you are pursuing money then you tell them how much you charge, and you won't settle for anything less. Listen, that's not ministry. Finally, loving money can lead a leader to give in to the temptation, quite frankly, to pocket some of that money for himself that was intended to go elsewhere. And that is a great danger. And that is the specific issue of unethically pocketing money that, believe it or not, some at the church at Corinth accused the Apostle Paul of being guilty of. That's what they said about Paul. Some considered Paul just another religious huckster out to rip people off in the name of God. Now, we look at that and we say, that's that's ludicrous, but that's what was going on. And we know that because throughout his letter, throughout 2 Corinthians, Paul will defend himself on that very issue. For example, in chapter 4, and you might as well turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, because that's what we're going to deal with. But in chapter 4, Paul said this, he said he was not guilty of, and the words he used were walking in craftiness, and he means deceitful scheming concerning money. They said he was taking money. Sure, he wants to have a collection for what he says, the poor saints at Jerusalem, but how do we know Paul's not taking some money off of the top? How do we know when the offering plates passed, he's not putting in, he's taken out? Paul said he didn't walk in craftiness. Chapter 6, he revealed that he was poor, yet making many rich. Paul himself was a poor individual. You know that he was poor because he tells us on several occasions that he worked day and night. Somebody who has to work day and then take a few hours of of sleep and then go back to work at night is somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of money because they need more to just sustain themselves. Paul was a poor man, yet he said he made many rich. He's talking about spiritually wealthy. He also said in chapter 6 that he possessed uh, he, he had nothing. He said, "Having nothing yet possessing all things." That is to say, physically, he had nothing. He he absolutely had nothing, but he really was saying that spiritually, I I, I am a joint heir with Christ. I I own it all with him because of his grace. And yet, there's nothing I can say right now is mine. And in chapter 12, he will tell the Corinthians directly about denying the charge that he took advantage of them financially, took money from them. But it is in chapters 8 and 9, this is where you should be, in chapters 8 and 9, that Paul lays down the foundation for denying this charge of financial impropriety by revealing to the Corinthians the, the great lengths that he went to in making sure that in administrating the money for the collection for Jerusalem, he was absolutely honest and filled with virtue and integrity. Paul wanted to dispel any suspicions that he had mishandled the funds in any way. And he does this, actually, it's very interesting. He does this by instructing the Corinthians about how they should give their money. He brings himself into it, but how they should give money so that their money, uh, their giving is marked by virtue and integrity. And that's what we've been studying for the last few weeks. We've been learning how to make sure that when we give, it isn't just, well, here's the offering plate, put some money in. It isn't that at all. Well, I shouldn't say it isn't that at all. It isn't only that. Obviously, that's part of it. But we've been learning that God is concerned about the heart. God is concerned about some honesty issues. God is concerned about virtue. God is concerned about our heart's attitude in giving, and that's why he revealed through the Apostle Paul the various marks of giving when it is done with integrity. That's what we've been looking at. Very quickly, let me just remind you of these various marks. Number one, when you give with integrity, you'll have a desire to give. Number two, when you give with integrity, you will carry out your intentions to give. You'll be honest You'll follow through. Number three, when you give with integrity, your giving will not put a financial strain upon yourself. You'll, you'll give generously, sacrificially, but you're not going to go in the poorhouse because of that. And number four, when you give with integrity, you are giving with an understanding that your surplus will balance out resources in the body of Christ. Now, last week, we began to look at the fifth mark of giving with integrity, and it is so vital. It is this. When we give with integrity, our giving will be under the leadership of qualified individuals. That's your responsibility to figure that out. Now, God gives you guidelines, but giving that is concerned with integrity and virtue will make sure that those we give our money to will manage it with integrity and virtue. Therefore, And this is the whole point. It is our responsibility to know if those churches and ministry organizations that we support financially, we need to know, are they run by godly individuals who oversee financial matters with integrity? If not, then don't give your money there. Give it somewhere else. Give where there is godly leadership. Because if you continue to give to a place without godly leadership, then you're being a poor steward. God has entrusted that money to you. Make sure that those you, you give to or whatever organization you give or local church that you give, that those who lead those organizations are spiritually qualified to oversee finances, that they have the spiritual credentials. Now that's what Paul is teaching us in this passage because the apostle Paul reveals to the Corinthians that he has assigned certain men who will oversee the collection. And these men do have the spiritual credentials. Now, why is this so important to us? Because quite frankly, these are the same credentials that you and I are to look for today in those who oversee finances in a local church or a, or a ministry organization. If, as I said, if these organizations are not directed by men of this caliber, then just stop supporting them. And you have a responsibility to, to know If they are godly in this area.
2: It may look like a good cause from the outside, but as we make our giving decisions, it's the caliber of the people on the inside that ought to be our highest consideration. Ungodly leaders will make ungodly decisions concerning God's money. It was good to have you here today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can visit Lakeside at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Service times and a map are on the website, lakesidechapel.com, or call the church office at 727 441 1714. Whenever I get the chance to visit a library, I feel like a kid in a candy store. There's so much stuff in there to learn. But digital libraries are great too And Verse by Verse has an ever-growing library at our website Versebyverseradio.org Click on the message archive link to access our collection of previous broadcasts Which are free for you to stream or download As a matter of fact, we not only don't charge for those files We try very hard never to make you feel like we're pressuring you to give But we do want to make it easy for you to do so If that's what the Lord wants you to do If that's the case for you, there's a giving link on our webpage, versebyverseradio.org. Or you can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. This is Jerry Peterson. Apparently, to the Apostle Paul, the giving, collection, and administration of money was a big deal. It was such a big deal that he devoted two whole chapters to the subject. And who we choose to do the administration is of vital importance. Join us for the next verse by verse as Pastor Steve shares with us some of the biblical qualifications of a church treasurer.
0: We are here to give you strength between.